Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right. We are in the book of Deuteronomy, and we are in chapter 18 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 18, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's right there at the beginning. Continuing through the second law, which is a second telling of the law, second reiteration of the law to the children of Israel who are now the second generation of the people who came out of Egypt, okay? Again, God's word is repetitive, okay? When you read through the scriptures, you should find the same themes repeated over and over and over again, different times, different circumstances, different situations, different ways of wording it, different ways of writing it. It's the same truths of God again and again and again. The most simplistic way to sum up the Bible is the Old Testament is Jesus is coming. The New Testament is Jesus is here. It's always about God's redemptive plan. He begins the Word of God by talking to us about the, the, the creation of the world, the creation of mankind, that we're, we were created for the purpose of worship and for the purpose of fellowship. And in order for us to have true fellowship, true relationship, true worship, we had to have a choice in the matter. And so God gave the man and the woman a choice, and they did what people do best. <laughs> they chose wrong, right? And God had told them, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And the serpent lied to them and said, you will not surely die. But God knows that when you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened. You'll become like God, knowing good from evil, but you're not going to die. Now, when God had said that, we know that he didn't mean physical death, did he? He didn't mean it was going to be like Snow White and the poison apple. You know, and pa- No, no. This is a spiritual death that is going to take place in you because of disobedience. That is the first sin that took place was in the garden. It was a sin of rebellion against God. But it's more than that. It's that lie of the serpent. And that's why God put that curse upon the serpent and gave the prophecy in the book of Genesis there in the garden that I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Speaking of the virgin birth and speaking of Jesus Christ's redemptive work. That's Genesis. That's right in the very beginning in the garden before Adam and Eve were cast out. And Satan was cursed and and was treated so harshly by the Lord because he's Satan, but also because of the lie that he told the man and he told the woman. And if you look at it and you see the nature of what Satan said when he lied to Adam and Eve all those years ago in the garden, it's the same lies that he's telling people today. People want something more. People want something that's beyond themselves. People want to think of themselves as something greater, something better than what they are. They want to have comfort and they want it their way. Uh, and, and it's, you know, what is it? I think it's Burger King is have it your way, right? You know why that's such a good jingle? Because, well, first of all, because it's Burger King. You know what I mean? Have it your way. Yes, please. Yes, please. Oh, then I'll have two Whoppers. You know what I mean? A double Whopper with bacon. Do you want cheese? What do I look like? Of course I want cheese, right? But we want it our way. That's why the Bible says each one of us has gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, that being Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. 
the Bible, and we're going to talk a little bit about witchcraft this morning because the Bible gets into it. But the Bible says in the, in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, uh, the, the, the prophet Samuel tells Saul that in God's eyes, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And we cannot go over that, and we cannot say that, and we cannot reiterate that, and we cannot remind ourselves of that enough. And it's important for us to understand how God feels about witchcraft before we hear him say to us, your rebellion is as witchcraft. Every time you know God has said, go this way and you go that way, that's called rebellion. We were teasing sweet little Jacob. He's the sweetest, cutest little, you know, but in a child, they're the perfect example of rebellion. It's bound up in us. We don't have to be taught to rebel. You know, Jacob, you don't always have to listen to mommy and daddy. Sometimes you can say no. That's not what you teach them. Don't you tell me no. Don't you tell me no. Don't you tell your daddy no. Don't you tell your mommy no. They know to say no. Rebellion is in our hearts from the day we're born. I heard a preacher one time say, we come out of the womb screaming, me! <laughs> you know what I mean? Have it your way. Have it your way. And people want some sort of a connection with something beyond themselves. They want to believe that there's some reason. They want to believe that there's some meaning. They want to believe there's some purpose. But they want to find those things according to their own hearts, according to their own minds, and according to their own means, ways, and devices. And so much of what Scripture is, is God telling us, is I want to give you that. I want to give you that higher purpose. I want to give you that connection you're looking for. I want to give you that feeling of power that you, that you long for, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of meaning. But it can't happen in rebellion. It cannot happen along the way of rebellion and disobedience. You can't do it your way and expect to have God's blessing. And so again and again and again in scriptures, God is, is reaching out to his people. And it's not a do as I say or else. If you're now, now parents, we do that sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Do this, do, do that. Why? Because if you don't, I'm going to take the two of your heads and smash them together like coconuts. You ever see Three Stooges? If you haven't shown your children the Three Stooges, you've deprived them, a shame on you, okay? They must know the Stooges so that when you tell them you're going to take their heads and smash them together like coconuts, they can get the visual of Mo, <laughs> oh, you know, and knocking their heads together. But when I'm, that's not a good dad. That's not me being a good dad. That's me being a frustrated, angry, fleshly dad. When I'm being a good father, it's when I tell my children, you need to obey my voice. God has put me in your life to teach you. For one of the main reasons is to teach you obedience. Now, it's important to me that when I tell you stop to my little tiny kids, you stop. Because it doesn't matter when we're in the house, and certainly not when we're in Nana Pop-Pop's house. <laughs> it's not my stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, stop. Oh, they broke that. Oh, they break this. But when you're in the front yard, and you live on a highway, and your little toddler is running towards the road, and he's too far away from you to get to him or her, and there's a car or a truck coming, and you yell, stop, it is imperative that that child stops. 
And so why do we teach our children obedience? Why is it so important? Why is it so imperative? Because obedience literally in the physical may save their lives, and it may not be it saves their lives because of one circumstance or one situation or one turn of events. It's in the course of life. I tell people all the time, your life, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, sometimes life isn't fair, sometimes life just stinks, sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's awful, but the overall sum total of your life, your life is a sum total of the decision you make. And people are out there and they want to put responsibility away from themselves. It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because I didn't get a fair shake. It's because of this and that and this and that. Now, there's varying levels of success in this life and there's varying levels of trials and tribulations and difficulties. And I would never want to minimalize that in anyone. I would never want to minimalize what you've been through. But the bottom line is... When you get to be 60 years old and you look back at your life, your life is a sum total of the decisions you've made, period. And God wants us to make the good, good decisions, and it's based on this, obedience. Now, that's in the physical, but God says everything that is most important in this world and in this universe is, in fact, not physical. It's spiritual, why? Because your life is a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. It's gone. You look at the old pictures from the 1800s and the people, they're dressed oddly with crazy facial hair and they are tiny and they seem strange and they got weird looks in their faces and, you know, like they've been kicked by a horse one too many times, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's kind of like, it's not real to us. But those people were as absolutely as real as you are sitting here today. And they had dreams and hopes and aspirations just like you do. But they're gone. What stands, what is remembered, is beyond the physical things. And we talk about being a good person. Well, they were a good person. They were this kind of a person. They were that kind of a person. We know that the perfection of all of that is found in Jesus Christ in our relationship with God, and in what the Word of God says. God wants you to have a successful life. And I don't mean that in a, in, a, in, a, in a health and wealth type of way. You know how we feel about that nonsense, okay? I mean that in a blessings because you have a relationship with God. You understand? The health and wealth thing, here's one of the reasons it makes me physically violent, okay? First of all, you can't preach that in Iran. You can't preach that in China, and if you can't preach a gospel in China, then you shouldn't preach it here. Okay, I digress. The other reason it makes me mad is because you would look at somebody who would say, oh, I don't know, a sprinkler fitter, <laughs> and maybe not doing as well as somebody who is on the higher pay scale of things and say, well, maybe he's not as faithful, or she's not as faithful, or they're not as blessed of the Lord. Or you look at someone who's sick and say that the most spiritual human being that our family ever knew lived in a tiny hut on the reservation with a dirt floor. And the woman just about levitated in our minds. She was so one with the Lord and so close to Jesus Christ and reflected his beauty and reflected his love so thoroughly don't expect to be sitting next to her when you get to the kingdom because she's going to be way up front, okay? 
and she was dirt, literally dirt poor. In the winter, she would have to trudge outside to her outhouse. And you never saw such a radiant heart. That is a product of our culture, of our depraved culture, that we would equate financial success or physical health with closeness to God. Take it or leave it. That's just me, all right? And I think the word. God wants us close and tight with him so that we can reflect his love to humanity who, if you haven't been paying attention, desperately needs to see it. Desperately needs to see it. And we as Christians can sit from the point of our great and lavished comfort and opulent luxury that we live in at a world that's lost and dying and say, too bad, I'll pray about that. And I'm preaching to me right now. God, what do you want me to do? I was chosen for a reason He chose me from my mother's womb for a reason, for a purpose when I was four years old, listening to that purple puzzle tree record that my mother had, asking Jesus into my heart, not knowing what I was really even doing, but he knew. And he set me aside, and he had a purpose for me. And how often I've blown it. How often I've gone astray. How often instead of doing the things the way God has called me to do and to be the man that God has called me to be, I'm the Frank Thomas way. And I do things the Frank Thomas way. I want to be more. I want to be better. That's the calling. That's the calling. You say, I don't like that. I don't feel good right now. (laughs) Okay? This doesn't make me tingle. Okay, I'm supposed to come to church and I'm supposed to get a tingle. Okay, and leave it. I feel good about myself. I feel wonderful. Listen to me. Here's where the feeling of goodness, here's where the feeling of joy, here's where the feeling of wonderfulness comes from in your brokenness. Because you stand before the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and he allows you to see yourself as you truly are compared to his perfection and you're broken upon the rock that is Jesus Christ and the gospel and who he is and then he lifts you up and he draws you into himself and he fills you with his spirit and he gives you a joy unspeakable. And he gives you a peace that surpasses understanding. And that's something that no one and nothing in this world can ever give anyone. And people are dying to get to that. But they're doing it through rebellion. And they're doing it according to our own ways. That is the stumbling stone of offense that is Jesus Christ. That is the stumbling stone. That we come to him broken that we come to him in a state of repentance. Repentance. How do you suppose it made the Pharisees feel when they walked out into the wilderness to see what this John the Baptist was all about? And normally when they go to see some new teacher or some new rabbi or somebody who's out doing something supposedly for God, they're expecting, here comes the, oh, welcome, your majesty, oh, blah, 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 blah. And John points his little wriggly finger at him and goes, you brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Because God can raise up out of these rocks, children of Abraham. Repent. Well, how do you suppose that made him feel? That was a good message today. Wouldn't you say, Leviticus? I mean, I can't believe this. You know what I mean? Let's, well, let's kill him. You know what I mean? Let's kill, kill this guy. We expect something different. The popular gospel, the popular gospel, you know, we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people through various ways. I'm involved, you guys know, in that motocross ministry, right? And yet you can be a Christian and still be a cool dude. <laughs> right? You can be a Christian and be a regular guy and like regular things. You don't have to walk around all the time. No, no, this is what it is to be a Christian. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the stumbling stone of offense, oh, I'm going to fall, must, the stumbling speaker of offense, the stumbling, look at me, I'm falling apart now. Maybe the Lord's rebuking me in some way. The stumbling stone of offense must, must present itself. It must be stumbled over. I am a sinner. I am completely, totally, and utterly lost in my sins. And except for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me, and for his blood being shed and poured out for me, I would be on my way on the fast track to a Christless eternity. Oh, Jesus, Oh, Jesus, I receive your gift today. That's what it is. And therein lies the stumbling stone. Therein lies the offense. Because people want to believe in God. They even want to believe in Jesus. But they never want to stumble. They never want to say, I can't earn it. On my very best day, I deserve hell. That's a hard pill for people to swallow but it's a pill we all have to swallow. When Jesus Christ talked to Nicodemus, Nicodemus in, the, in, the, in the evening about being born again, when he talked about being born again, that new birth, Nicodemus is scratching his head, how can a man enter his, into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus is like, oi vey, you know. Nicodemus, are you the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, there has to be a spiritual rebirth that happens in your life. That's the picture of baptism, my friends. It is a picture of you spiritually being buried dead in the ground and being raised up out of the grave like Jesus, who was the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, being raised up to a new life in him. It is no longer your life, as the Scripture teaches us. We were bought with a price. Nicodemus, you have to die. Nicodemus, your flesh, your heart has to be put to death so that you can be raised up as a new spiritual creation in Jesus Christ. And Jesus would have said, in me, I guess, in me. The Holy Spirit dwells within those who call on the name of Jesus Christ. We, your body, is the temple of of God. Remember, Jesus talked to the woman at the well about this. The day, the day is coming when people aren't going to have to go to the mountain or to the temple to worship, but true worshipers of God are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And then we were taught by the apostles, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what manner of temple ought it to be? 
Now, when we go to the Old Testament, we get into the prophets, and as they're getting after the people for their idolatry and for their wickedness and for their rebellion, you come to a place in Scripture where you find that they were bringing altars to Baal and, 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 and Asherah poles and all manner of abominations into the temple of God and worshiping and serving those things within the temple of God. And God says to the people through the prophets, these things cannot stand. It's not just that I must punish disobedience and rebellion. That is what God is also, one of his, his offices as well. He is the judge. But more than that, if you allow your children to run unchecked and undisciplined, you are not a good parent. I'm, I'm sorry. You are not a good parent. The Bible says those that love their children are careful, careful to discipline them. It doesn't mean you freak out. Ah, that's not what discipline is. You understand what I'm saying? To teach, to instruct, to train that obedience is imperative because not only are you training them to obey the rules and regulations of this life, you are most importantly training them to hear and listen and obey the voice of God in their life. Amen. Have you taught your kids that happiness is not found in where you live or in the job that you have? Your happiness is only going to be found in the will of God. Or you're going to spend your life running from job to job, from town to town, from relationship to relationship. And each one is going to be emptier than the last because you're searching in vain because God's not in those places. He's in the calling. And it's a still, small voice. It's not in the whirlwind. It's not in the lightning. It's not in the fireworks. It's not in the earthquakes. The prophet heard him finally in a still, small voice. That's why we study his word. That's why we read his word and we're careful in our doing it. And in your personal devotion, in your personal studies, I hope you approach the Bible carefully and say, God, search me today. Seek me out and search me out and see if there's a wicked way in me. And Lord, show me if there's a direction I need to go in that I have been not going in. Show me if there's a direction I've been going in that I'm not supposed to be going in. Lord, I know that my fulfillment as a believer in Jesus Christ is found in the center of your will and in obedience. And it's not anywhere else. People will run and search and look and they eventually end up completely unhappy. Unhappy. You ever meet somebody who has it all and they ain't happy? Or people that don't have it all and ain't happy. You know, it's easy to pick on rich folks. You know what I mean? Oh, rich people, you know, they kill themselves more than anybody else. You know what I mean? It's nice to be poor, you know, blah, blah. Poor people are just as miserable. <laughs> okay? Listen, I say this all the time, and I, and I get after the, the whole prosperity thing because I hate it. But if God's blessed you with money, if God has blessed you financially and you have money, praise God because I need some. No. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is so good. God has blessed you. And so when you come to church and you pray to the Lord, or when you're offering up your tithes and offerings, or whatever the case may be, you, cut, you have this special place to be like, Lord, you've blessed me so bountifully. 
thank you so much. And from what you've blessed me with, I'm going to bless you back and bless as many people as you put in my path. And that's not just for people who have money. That's for people who may not have any money. Because that's why it was a percentage, right? <laughs> that's why it was a percentage. It's the obedient heart God is looking for, always. It's an obedient and thankful heart. And I say it all the time, and I'll say it again. I wouldn't trade places with any of you. And I know you wouldn't trade places with me. You know, I, mean? you know, I wouldn't trade places with any of you or anyone in the world. I would never. I feel that I am so abundantly wealthy and so rich in the things that matter in this world. Every single day when I wake up, I have a home filled with people, I think for the most part, who love me. And not only they love me, they like me. And more important, and because of the only reason for that is because I wake up every morning and I know I serve a God who loves me and who called me and who chose me to follow in his footsteps, the footsteps of his son, Jesus Christ. And so because my hope is not in this world and because my hope isn't even bound up in those people that are sitting back there, it certainly isn't bound up in any possessions that I have. It's bound up in the hope that is set before me because of Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And I know that I have a place prepared for me and that you do too if you're a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ that he's been preparing for 2,000 years. And I know that when I close my eyes in death, I'll open them in glory. And there's nothing, and there's no thing, there's no experience, there's no amount of money, there's no possession, there's no relationship, there is nothing on the face of this planet that can give you what God has given you. Freely, freely. And then the scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. People call me and say, or talk to me, and say, hey, how much do you guys charge to do weddings? Nothing. Charge anything to do weddings. Why? Well, we call the all these, you're the only one, you're the only one, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I always say the same thing to them. Freely we have received, freely give. Now, I'm not busting, a church has got overhead and stuff like that. We have a tiny little building here, you know what I mean? <clears throat> Sometimes churches charge because of overhead and lights and all this other stuff. I have no problem with that. But you understand the point that I'm making. Freely we have received, freely we give. Amen. All right. Well, we got a little time. Deuteronomy 18, <clears throat> the priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance in Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people. From those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is bull or sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks. I think that's the cheeks on the face he's talking about there. Otherwise, it would be the flanks. I don't know. Uh, the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give them. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. <clears throat> and it's amazing. I love this. That's just what we were talking about. 
What is your inheritance? What is it that gives you, that makes you say, this is my great possession. This is the great thing of my life that is mine. This is the great thing and the most meaningful thing of my life that is mine. Of course, we have our families, right, that God has blessed us with, and our, our, our relationships, our children. But most importantly, God says, the Levites, I am your inheritance. They were not portioned any land within the nation of Israel. I am your inheritance. And because they were given certain portions of meat from each of the sacrifices and from the offerings of grain and new wine and the fleece of the sheep and so on, that is how they were provided for. You understand? They were provided for out of the gifts or out rather of the tithes of the people as they gave to God. And that's how the Levites were provided for. They were never supposed to be rich. They were never supposed to be wealthy. I mean, how much, how far are you going to get on fleece and cow stomachs and cheeks? You know what I mean? I mean, it's basic. It's basic. Provide for their needs. The Levites' needs are going to be provided for out of the tithes of the people. Makes sense because they serve before the altar of God and they serve in the temple later on down the road. Uh, but I love that because they're supposed to be a part of that, guys, that we have. We are a kingdom of priests. We are called to be a royal nation, a royal, a holy nation, a royal priesthood right? There is a spiritual truth here that is for you, that God wants to be your inheritance. Now, if you got a 401k, good for you. If you got a Roth IRA, good for you. If you got stocks and bonds and blah, blah, good for you. Not a bad idea, okay? Remember, when Paul writes his second letter to the Thessalonians, okay, he told them about the rapture in first the letters of the Thessalonians. They're up on the mountaintop. Second Thessalonians, he goes, go to work, for heaven's sakes, if you don't work, you don't eat, okay? So don't go max out your credit cards and then go stand up on a hill someplace, all right? Waiting for Jesus to come back. Do the right things. Take care of your house. Take care of the things that God has blessed you with. You are the steward of these things, okay? Take care of your retirement. Whatever it is that God has given you, be a good steward of it. But understand and know this, he is your inheritance. My dad always says, my retirement plan is death. It's cheery to talk about that around the... So, Dad, uh, think you'll be dying anytime soon? You know, that's what we, we don't say retirement. We say, when are you going to die, you know? That's the way he... I'm going to serve God till I drop over dead. Hey, that ain't a bad way to live. That ain't a bad way to live, and it certainly ain't a bad way to go out. Because that's what we all should want to hear. That's it. Everything you do on this planet is so when you close your eyes in death and you open them with your new eyes that you see the face of God the Father and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so the inheritance of the Levites was from the tithes. <clears throat> Verse 6, so if a Levite comes from any of your gates from where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God and all his brethren, as all his brethren the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portions to eat 
besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. So for whatever reason, you have a Levite who was not serving in the temple through whatever set of circumstances he found himself in. He was, he was out living amongst the rest of the nations of Israel in whatever province, among whatever tribe he was living in, and there he had possessions and property. And from that place in his life, God calls him and says, I want you to go and do the work of a true Levite. I want you to go to the tabernacle, or I want you to go to the temple, and I want you to serve me there, and I want to be your inheritance. And God says, there, there, is no, there is no pecking order. There is no seniority here. He was to be welcomed in like all the rest of the Levites. And he could sell his, his possessions. He could sell everything he owned. And he could keep that for himself. And then he could come and serve the Lord. And for the rest of his days, the Lord would be his inheritance. You know what that tells us? It's never too late. It's never too late. Just because you haven't been doing what God has called you to do. You haven't been being the person that you were born to be again in Jesus Christ. At any point in time, he's waiting. He's ready. He's willing for you to make him your inheritance. I love that. It's one of the greatest things about our faith. It simply is a state of mind. When we say a state of the heart, we're not talking about your actual heart, right? It's your soul. What choice are you going to make? What choice are you going to make? Am I going to serve myself this week? Is it going to be another week of building up treasures where moth and rust destroy? Or am I going to start switching my investments over to the heavenly accounts? And God says, at any point in time, when you turn, he's standing there waiting. You're never going to turn around into the face of your loving father and have him go, you again? How many times is this, Gabriel? What do you think? Every time. Just like with your rotten kids, right? Just like with their kids. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times they screw up. Every, I mean, 50 years this week, my mom and dad celebrated 50 year anniversary. If it wasn't for them, I was done with you people. <laughs> no, I was done with Christianity, I was done with the church. I was done with it all, not because I didn't believe in God, but because I didn't believe in people. I got nothing but abuse from stupid Christians from the time I was a little kid. And I saw my father abused by Christians, and I wanted nothing to do with it. You know what I'm saying? I just was over it, and I was so rebellious. And every single time, every single time, I would come home from wherever my dad was waiting for me with open arms. Always. Every time with a nugget of truth, too. Son, this isn't the way. This isn't the way. You're storing up for yourself wrath. You're storing up for yourselves corruption. Son, do it the right way. Oh, yeah, dad, yeah, dad, yeah. But always behind that was my, was my daddy's smile and my dad's loving arms, always. And if you, Jesus said, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When you turn to him at any point, at any juncture in your life, and you say, God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. This time. This time. This time. This time. Every time. <laughs> That's the Father we serve. You can't buy your way in. You can't earn your way in. You were born in. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, verse 9, so when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, <laughs> you shall not learn the fo uh, to follow the abominations of those nations. 
There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. And I'm going to say this loudly and succinctly so anyone out in YouTube land can hear what I'm, what I'm saying and understand that this is the Word of God. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And you see it every day on your radio stations, they're reading out the horoscopes, and you see it on the, in the newspapers and the funnies, it's everywhere. And the Long Island medium and all these other things. Oh, she does great. <clears throat> I don't care. I don't care. Well, you know, you, you wouldn't believe what she knew, and you wouldn't believe what I, read my lips, I don't care. I don't care what she's able to do. She may really be getting a message from the other side. She may really be, be, be being spoken to and be telling you things that no one else would know and really be giving you guidance and understanding and truth even. I don't care because the Lord God says it's an abomination. And it's because of these things I've driven the Canaanites out. Galatians, you guys know this one. Chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, it's because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon planet earth. And he said to the children of Israel, it's because of these things that the people that you are going to be driving out are being driven out. Don't you turn around and do them. Now remember, in the book of Samuel, Samuel goes to a witch, the witch of Endor, and he asks her to bring up the soul of Samuel, the prophet who died. And he comes forward. I'll read it to you. Saul swore to her, the witch, by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. In other words, she wasn't expecting to see him. So whether she was actually just a con artist or, or the real deal, she wasn't expecting to see Samuel. And she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you, did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, it's like out of a horror movie, why have you disturbed me from my slumber, you know, by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. You see what's happening there? Saul's not hearing from God, so he's going to a medium. 
Saul's not hearing the voice of God, so he goes elsewhere to get his direction. Unfortunately, God really allowed Samuel to come up, and Samuel tells him one more time. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me? (laughs) Seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And he goes on to tell Samuel, Saul, you're going to die. You and all your sons tomorrow in battle against the Philistines. And that's exactly what happened. First Chronicles 10, 13 to 14, it says this, because here's the problem. People see this, people read this and go, it's real, wow. As though that means maybe it's something, it's okay for us to dabble in. First Chronicles 10, 13 to 14. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord. Remember, rebellion as, as the sin of witchcraft. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned his kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. It doesn't matter that it worked. It doesn't matter that it was real. And I don't know which one of these people are real. And I don't know which one is truth. And oh, and I don't care what your horoscope says. Maybe it completely comes true. I don't care about any of that stuff. Our guidance and our truth is not found in the ways of the world. And it certainly isn't found in the ways of Satan, who the Bible says disguises himself as an angel of light. People don't go to mediums and come screaming, running out the door, a demon, you know what I mean? Never. It's always good news. It's always something I want to hear. I don't know. I've never been, but... (laughs) Um, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 says this, and no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Of course, uh, Paul is talking about false teachers here, but I think it applies in both ways. Satan and his people disguise themselves as angels of light, as ministers of truth, okay? So next time you watch Oprah Winfrey, remember that. You know what I'm saying? Maybe she's a great lady, and she gives away a free car. Who doesn't want a free car? But when she's telling people that there's all these different ways to get to God except through Jesus Christ, she's a liar, she's a false prophetess, and her words are to be cast to the side because they're in open rebellion against God's word. Amen? All right, let's stop there. We'll pick it up next week. It's good stuff, though. It's good stuff. God loves you. Say, well, I I didn't get that out of that message. Now, listen to me. The reason for obedience, the reason for going according to God's word and not any place else is because God's intentions for you, the verse everybody in the world knows now, for I know the thoughts that I, I, I have towards you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. It's on coffee cups now, you know, it's everywhere. It's a great verse. But people forget this. They like to take these verses and just say, like God's the Easter bunny or some magic, you know, fairy godmother in the sky. He wants to prosper me. And they're frolicking through the fields of rebellion and divination. You know what I mean? No, no, no. That's not how it works. The blessings of God are found in obedience. obedience. The blessings of God are found in us walking in the truth, walking in the light as he is in the light. And furthermore, the Bible says, that's what allows us to have fellowship one with another. You know, we don't have divisions here in this church. People don't go away mad, they just go away. 
You know what I mean? And it's the one rule I have in this place is be nice. You can come in here from, from the most worst, wicked, abominable lifestyle that you could imagine, and you're going to be welcomed in this place with open arms, and we're going to love on you. That's just what we do. And if you're a Christian and you've blown it and you come in this place, we're going to love on you. But we're going to preach the truth here. We're going to preach the light here. We're going to preach the word of God here. And the one rule we have is everybody's got to be nice, right? Everybody's got to be nice to one another. You know why? Because everyone else is going through a struggle too. Everyone is going through a struggle. Every single one of you has got something, got something going on in your life, big or small, you got something. And we're here for one another. But that fellowship is only found as we walk in the light. Can't turn this into some sort of country club and then think we're going to have true Christian fellowship. That's not how it works. You can't live your life according to the flesh and think you're going to have fellowship with God and that God's going to bless the things that you do. It's just not how it works. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and, and thank you, Father, for the love that you have towards us, Lord. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would not be afraid to, to stumble over the, the stone of, of repentance, Lord, and of, of acknowledgement of uh, what our hearts are capable of, Lord, and um, that we need, desperately need a Savior. Father, we pray that uh, not only would that be true and evident in our lives, Lord, as we seek to walk in obedience to the Scriptures, Lord, but we pray, Father, that that, that light and that truth um, would be something, Father, that we are eager to share. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bring people into our lives, into our homes, into our places of employment, wherever, Father, uh, who are searching and who have hearts <clears throat> willing to receive the truth, Lord. We pray that you would use us, Lord, to deliver it to them, to show them the, the love of Jesus Christ that lives in each one of us, Father. But first, we have to, we have, to have it before we can give it away, uh, Lord. And so we pray that you would make that, that a reality in each of our hearts, in each of our lives, that our lives would be lived for you, that you would be our inheritance, that we would walk in obedience uh, Lord, and that blessing um, that we experience because of that, Father, would, would be something that would pour out from us into our worlds, Lord, to people who so desperately need to see it, to need to experience it, Father. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.